This is Reimagine Law, a podcast about legal education and careers to help students navigate their career choices. Hello and welcome to Reimagine Law. Um, Today we're talking about one of my favourite topics, uh, which is pro bono and what that means. And we have two wonderful guests from the sector in to give you their wisdom. Um, First of all, let me welcome Jane Cotton from Evershed Sutherland. And secondly, Rebecca Wilkinson from the organisation LawWorks. Uh, Jane, could you just give listeners a flavour of your role, please? Certainly. Thanks, Bran, and thanks for having me. Um, So I'm Jane Cotton, and I'm a principal pro bono lawyer um, at law firm Evershed Sutherland. Um, Evershed Sutherland is a global law firm. Um, We have offices in various countries, over 2,000 lawyers, um, and we have 10 offices in the UK. uh, And I help to manage and coordinate our pro bono programme in the UK and Europe. Lovely. Um, And Rebecca, uh, what's your role at LawWorks, and, and what is LawWorks? Hi, Fran. Um, yes, I'm Chief Executive of LawWorks, and LawWorks is a national charity. It's the uh, practicing name of the Solicitors Pro Bono Group. Um, and what we do is work to facilitate and support solicitors to do pro bono. Perhaps I could um, just dive straight into the discussion, if that's OK. Um, Jane, could you help us with what is pro bono? What do we mean by this weird word? <laughs> Certainly. Well, so the literal meaning of pro bono is for good. Um, And trust law has uh, come up with a definition of what pro bono work is, uh, which is used by the UK pro bono community and indeed much of the global community. So it is a bit technical, but I think it's worth stating here. Um, So it's the provision of free legal advice, assistance uh, and research by a qualified lawyer for people with limited means or organisations that have a social, environmental, humanitarian, cultural or community focus. Um, And so one of the key elements is that it needs to be legal advice or help. So non-legal volunteer work, like supporting at a food bank or engaging in a charity bike ride, um, that wouldn't be pro bono activity. That's interesting, yeah, because you sometimes see people refer to it for public good. And I've always wondered where the link is, because you only ever hear it referred to um, in the legal profession. So that's that's really interesting. Um, Rebecca. What does this actually mean in, in practical terms? Uh, well, I mean, in many ways, pro bono covers the whole gamut of legal work. Um, the, the good part is the who, whom you're doing it for, um, as opposed to the type of law. Um, so almost anything you do in practice or that anyone does in practice could be pro bono. A lot of pro bono work um, is in the not-for-profit sector and helping This can be a mix, large not-for-profits doing cross-jurisdictional research projects or a one-off lease for a small startup charity. It can be advice on legislation and policy work. Um, It can be redoing someone's employment contracts. All of that is pro bono and is is done um, often in this sector. And then there's also the work done for individuals. This can be, you know, Uh, supporting an individual with a welfare benefits tribunal case or supporting someone with a death row case. All of that is covered under um, the sphere of pro bono, uh, as long as you're not charging for the work that you're doing. Really interesting, isn't it? The the, the great breadth, actually, that it covers as as a term and a concept in an area. Absolutely. Jane, as a society, why do we need pro bono? Well, I mean, essentially... uh, To put it bluntly, legal advice is extremely expensive, prohibitively so for many people and organisations. And essentially, without pro bono, uh, certain individuals and organisations simply wouldn't be able to access legal support and advice. Uh, 
which in turn means that um, you know, they could potentially be denied access to justice, uh, which is a fundamental human right for individuals. If a not-for-profit organisation has to pay thousands of pounds to have a legal agreement drawn up or to, uh, to deal with a, a dispute um, that's been instigated against them, for example, um, then those are funds that they're using that can't be used for their vital work in the community. And obviously then the community and, and individuals in turn uh, suffer as a result of that. Um, and so, you know, we as larger organisations have a social responsibility uh, to, to step in there. And it's important to say that the pro bono work isn't a substitute for legal aid, but of course legal aid isn't available um, to charities and not-for-profits and NGOs. Is only available to individuals and um, significant cuts in legal aid provision over the last 20 or so years have meant that um, fewer and fewer individuals themselves are able to get free legal advice. It's interesting isn't it um we've got another episode on on legal aid if our listeners want to have a listen in on that but um legal aid is a term that often especially in international context you hear people use to refer to what pro bono you know free legal advice but actually it means something else in this country it means you know the lawyers are paid just from from the government so i think that's quite an important um, distinction. Um, Jane, I should have asked you, perhaps you could just give us a flavour of some of the, the pro bono work that's done at Evershed Sutherland, um, just to help help bring this to life for listeners. Of course, yeah. Um, so as Rebecca said, you know, pro bono work spans lots of different activities, uh, myriad of activities, and at Evershed we do pro bono work in lots of different ways, as, as Rebecca highlighted. So uh, first of all, we often work with trust law and other intermediaries, Major is to support um, charities, not for profits, and that's with one-off pieces of work quite often uh, that are within the firm's areas of specialism. So um, we might uh, help a charity to prepare a set of employment contracts or a handbook, uh, or our property lawyers could support um, an NGO to negotiate a lease for a new building. Um, and we also take on research projects, bylaw works, and others. Uh, so just recently, our volunteer lawyers across our office. Um, European offices started work on a research project um, which compares legal frameworks um, around modern slavery and human trafficking in a number of countries, Bangladesh, Cambodia, um, India and Thailand. Uh, and the aim of that research is to look at the national frameworks, compare them with the international frameworks and then produce an analysis of the gaps. Um, so that will help that organisation uh, with its lobbying. Um, another strand of work is strategic litigation, so that's where cases are brought in court which have the potential to change law or policy. Um, and we've been representing 27 individual members of the former Afghan judiciary since October last year. Uh, and our work involves helping them prepare their applications under the, um, the UK's ARAP scheme, which is the Afghan Relocation and Assistance Programme. Um, and these people, you know, the majority of them are still in Afghanistan in hiding in desperate situations because of the work they did, they're in, you know, in, in extreme danger. Um, and our work involves making those applications. And in some cases, we've instigated judicial review proceedings um, in the High Court because of delay in, in processing those applications or inconsistency in, in dealing in the decision-making process. Um, we have a number of projects where our volunteers uh, learn a secondary specialism. So this is an area which is completely outside their normal day-to-day -day job. Um, and we work with a charity or NGO who supports us and uh, trains our volunteers and supervises the work. So for example, uh, we have a project with uh, Kids in Need of Defence UK, where our volunteers support uh, families to get their children, uh, their British citizenship that they're entitled to, but they don't necessarily 
know how to go about that. Um, and we work as well with, uh, we're collaborating with a number of firms and an Italian uh, NGO, Chilled, um, to make urgent applications to the European Court of Human Rights to prevent um, irreparable harm to people's human rights uh, in a very urgent way. So for example, cases we've dealt with involve um, preventing a country forcibly pushing back migrants to other countries where torture is common, uh, for example. So um, but that's really a flavour of the work we do. We also are 10 UK offices. Most of them have a link with a local law centre or um, a law clinic, university law clinic, for example, where our volunteers go along and give out advice on things like housing and um, welfare benefits uh, and employment. So the whole range, really. Wow. <laughs> um, it's an incredible work. And, you know, that's you're, you're, you're just one law firm. If, if many in, in the UK are doing this, this is fantastic. Um, Rebecca, let me uh, come back to you. Uh, obviously, your organisation is, is a national organisation. Um, why do you think that we need pro bono in, in our society? Um, although maybe Jane's, maybe Jane's covered it with some of the excellent work <laughs> they're doing at Evershed. Yes, I, I think Jane has successfully shown the sort of uh, the breadth of pro bono um, and how there isn't one why. Um, I suppose the why is um, that... Um, legal advice is for the most part paid for and um, access to justice requires people who can't afford it um, to also be able to access legal advice. Um, I think with the passing of LASPO in 2012, that made a real step change difference in terms of the type of pro bono work that uh, law firms such as Eversheds were offering and that really changed things. But even before then, there was lots of work that was being done with NGOs, both domestically uh, and globally who, um, as Jane said, legal fees would have inhibited their ability to go on and, and do the vital work they were doing in our communities. So while I do think uh, legal aid and pro bono have a connection, pro bono does span um, a breadth of legal advice and support that is wider than what we would ever traditionally think of as um, work that could be covered in um, a more robust legal aid system. That's a really interesting point, actually. Um, and, and just for just for the benefit of listeners, um, LASPO is um, is the acronym that we use. And I'm going to embarrass myself now by getting it wrong. Uh, legal aid and sentencing. Uh, oh, I'm going to have to look it yeah, up. One it's, of those. <laughs> it's, it's an acronym for a statute that came in in I think 2012 or 13, um, and really brought in some quite savage cuts to legal aid, especially in the in the civil law field. Um, but yeah, it's really interesting, that dynamic between pro bono and legal aid. And I would really strongly recommend that listeners listen to both episodes to, to get a flavour of both and how they sit next to each other in the current um, legal sector. OK, so um, we have something called the pro bono protocol <laughs> that we follow. Um, Rebecca, I'm going to come to you because it's actually hosted on the LawWorks website. Um, Perhaps you could help us out with this. Um, what is the pro bono protocol um, and why do you think it's important? Sure. So the pro bono protocol was drawn up um, 
my understanding is long before my time, um, by a group of firms and the Law Society and Law Works. And it was developed to promote and support sort of consistently high standards of pro bono work. Um, of course, all solicitors are covered by their professional uh, regulations um, and duties, but this was to really press home the point um, to be clear about what pro bono is and the standard to which it should be done. And that is treating all clients um, as you would treat paid clients um, is the main governing principle of the protocol. Um, I would say I mean, it goes further than that. It really does define what we mean by pro bono. Uh, this is important because different um, firms, especially global firms, do often have different definitions of it. Um, so this was the attempt to create a definition for the UK um, that would allow organisations such as the Law Society uh, to measure pro bono and to report on it. Uh, but it also, it's, it's a lot to do with standards. It's a lot to do with uh, expected behaviours. Um, and it also, uh, for, for organisations such as the Law Society and Law Works, it allows us to set the standards that we expect firms to be following when they're doing pro bono work and to call people out if they're falling short of those standards absolutely vital um protocol i think that um probably all of us working in pro bono <laughs> on a ground level can probably see examples of of where we've referred to it or thought about it in the context of a, of situations that, that have arisen but um you know that that principle that just because you're a pro bono client shouldn't mean you're getting any less of a of a service and and the standard you know fits with all the ethical standards that we as lawyers should be should be following of course Absolutely. I think um, to, from, from a sort of private practice law firm perspective, the protocol is really important because, you know, it, it's really useful to have a policy internally governing pro bono to make those points clear that, you know, what is pro bono for a start? There, there can be a lot of confusion, I think, among lawyers about what pro bono is. Um, and lots of people think it is the volunteering activity as well as the legal advice. So the protocol really helps us to shape our policy and to, to shape those guidelines for our staff. And also to reiterate the fact that all clients should be dealt with in the same way, regardless of whether they're paying or not. It's really interesting, actually, because I don't know, I don't have a flavour of it. And one of you might or might not, you know, how many firms around the country will actually allocate a proportion of, um, of what we call billable hours. So, you know, lawyers have, um, solicitors especially have targets to hit, hit billable hours um, within their working week or month. Um, what proportion of firms have some of those that are specifically dedicated to pro bono or whether pro bono is kind of an adjunct add-on to the working week that people are trying to squeeze in. Um, I, I never really have a concept of, of how that looks in, in the profession. I think over the last few years, increasingly law firms are including pro bono hours in their billable hours targets and utilisation targets, definitely. It's become, you know, ESG has become you know a board level issue now for our, for our clients um, and and pro bono is really very much being pushed to the front of sort of business as usual activities and so within that to drive engagement you really you know it's 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 very important to make sure that there's a commitment there which is backed up by that billable hours issue um, because there is that tension between billable hours and non-billable hours. Um, I would say I mean we're members of the UK Collaborative Plan, uh, which is a fantastic network of um, UK firms or, uh, and some other non-UK firms 
who were doing pro bono, and I would say that, that you know many of those firms do include pro bono hours in their targets. And in fact, some are, you know, are unlimited pro bono hours. Some are really making, you know, amazing strides in this, in this area. It sounds like there's been a real drive forward in, in recent years on that. Um, it's fantastic. And we, we've heard, you know, terms like greenwashing and things in the press. Um, and I often <laughs> sometimes think about pro bono washing, <laughs> you know, um, organizations that like to, to say, that they do great work with pro bono but then perhaps don't have the deeper level commitment to it and certainly having billable hours is a fantastic deeper level commitment so Jane I'm really pleased to hear that the trend is going in that direction. <laughs> I think it also demonstrates the importance of things such as the protocol and the definition of pro bono because if you're including it in billable hours you need to know what you mean by pro bono. Um, firms, or certainly ones who don't include it in billable hours, often say things to me like, oh, well, we do pro bono all the time. I'm an employment lawyer and my friends and family call me all the time to ask for help. And I have to point out to them that while they might be delighted, it's probably not in the public good um, that their mum doesn't have to pay for um, employment advice. So it's trying to work out how you draw those definitions, especially within firms who include in billable hours. Um, that shows it's not just you know giving your wares away for free it is doing it with a purpose um, and for those in need um, to support access to justice uh, but I think it's also an interesting one because obviously we talk about pro bono as volunteering and once it's included within billable hours in many ways it's not the solicitor who's volunteering it's the law firm who's giving that time um, as opposed to the individual and I think uh, it's It'll be an interesting philosophical discussion for a future podcast of political scientists to discuss where, where the pro bono still counts as volunteering once it's um, into the mainstream um, or whether it's just you know, doing good work, law firms doing good work an interesting um, parallel that I can draw there Rebecca um, I work in a student law clinic and we have some students who engage on an extracurricular basis and some as part of a module and it's like is it is it pro bono <laughs> if they're actually getting credits on their degree for it you yeah. know that's quite an interesting discussion that I've had with the students themselves actually over the years um, okay so if our listeners would like to get involved in pro bono work um, bearing in mind that perhaps some of our listeners aren't qualified yet um, what ways might they be able to do this so if you have a citizen's advice near you then I would encourage you to approach them they're often looking for volunteers to help out in legal clinics so in person or perhaps um, manning telephones or virtually um, join the pro bono society at your college or university many universities have a pro bono society we work with the Manchester University and a pro bono society um, and they are doing some great work um, and when you start work find out who your office pro bono leads are or champions and, and ask what you can do to get involved because I can assure you that we pro bono managers absolutely love being approached by willing volunteers. Brilliant. Rebecca, did you have anything to add on to that, that great list? Oh, no, I would just say, I guess, um, things are always different depending on your geography and where you are. And I, I think we need to recognise that. Um, but there are um, organisations, national organisations that are set up to support these things. Um, and certainly if you're in a law firm, when you approach your pro bono manager, I highly recommend you ask whether or not your firm's a member of LawWorks, um, <laughs> because that's um, our job is to facilitate pro bono work for solicitors. So um, we look forward to hearing from those of you who are listening to us now. 
Mm-hmm. Brilliant. I can confirm that the Queen Mary Legal Advice Centre is a member of Royal Rights. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> <laughs> so let's just move on um, from, from volunteering opportunities to talk about National Pro Bono Week that happens um, every year. Rebecca, can you give our listeners a, a bit of a flavour of, of what this is and what events take place? Certainly. I mean, I, I'm afraid I had to run National Pro Bono Week for four years when I was at the Law Society, so I know more about it than anyone ever wants to. Um, it's always in the first full week in November, so this year it's the 7th to 11th of November, and it's a week where people across the pro bono sector come together to celebrate the work that's done, but also um, to promote it to look at the questions and the hot topics that are coming up in pro bono uh, and to generally spread awareness. I think there are many events that happen nationally and there is a website you can go to but also lots of work is done um, at a uh, regional and and a town level so if you're at a university or if you're within a law firm there will be work almost inevitably going on uh, in your patch so it's just about um, speaking to your pro bono coordinators um, or, as I say, going onto the website to find out what's going on in your area. Fantastic. Sounds great. It's in my calendar already. Um, so let's just quickly talk about what are the main topical issues that are in pro bono at, at the moment. I don't know whether each of you are able to give, to give our listeners one sort of current talking point in the sector. Well, I mean, there, is, there are so many. Um, and on any day you could probably choose a number of different ones but for us um, at Eversheds we've we've been doing a lot of work um, pro bono work with asylum seekers and refugees recently particularly those displaced by the Afghan um, crises in Afghanistan and Ukraine Um, and it's really clear that the demand for UK UK immigration specialists um, far outstrips the, the supply of those so in that work because we have a very small immigration team and the majority of our volunteers are not immigration specialists, we need support from external specialists on that kind of work. Um, and we you know, we can struggle to get that external support to match the actual demand uh, from the individuals in need. And so um, I, I suppose the message is the UK desperately needs more lawyers who do immigration, um, human rights, welfare benefits, and that sort of work. Um, and so, if you're starting out on a legal career, don't just assume that there's only commercial law. So if you're passionate about access to justice, do um, explore those opportunities to be involved in those kinds of careers. Um, and actually, um, you've reminded me that I should do a shout out to the Justice First Fellowship as well, um, which is a um, fantastic um, opportunity to um, to qualify into um, an area of, of um of social justice law and I'll put the link to that in the show notes if listeners want to, to have a little look and read up about that. Rebecca anything come to you? Um, I think Jane's absolutely right and that is the big talking point at the moment is the lack of throughput of social welfare lawyers and what that'll mean for pro bono in the future uh, but I suppose the other thing that we at LawWorks are very interested in at the moment is technology and pro bono and how they work together. Um, we were delighted to win an award that had a bizarre name like Disruptive Digital Project of the Year. Or, um, 
in terms of a collaborative project we're doing with an Australian pro bono organization that's looking at how you can broker um, pro bono projects more efficiently using an online portal. But I think there's lots of work that's also going on in terms of AI and how you triage better. And I think the whole sector, the advice sector is looking to technology to see if there are ways that we can make our work more efficient and effective so that we can get more people the help that they need quicker um, and more smoothly. Fantastic. It's exciting. The future's exciting. <laughs> um, so lastly, we're trying to introduce a new thing where we, um, we ask all our guests just in, you know, 30 seconds uh, to tell us something really interesting about their career path, something that makes them a bit different from, uh, from a sort of typical career path that maybe our listeners think might be the only option. Um, so I don't know whether you had any uh, nuggets to share with us, either of you. Well, I, I suppose I'd say my, my career path is interesting in that it didn't really follow a path. Um, so I have uh, two politics degrees and I started off working in Parliament and then quickly pivoted into the voluntary sector, did that for a while. And then at 30, I decided to do the law conversion, uh, or rather my mother said, why don't you become a barrister? And I thought that was a good idea. Um, so I did the conversion and the bar course, spent a year in chambers. Um, realized that wasn't for me uh, so went to the law society to do their pro bono policy because that um, covered you know my interest in policy work my interest in volunteering and then my newfound interest in law um, and then I don't know eight years later I find myself chief executive of law work so I feel in some ways I've come full circle just bringing all of the bits together uh, but I don't I don't think it was a straight line it was definitely wiggly I love that wiggly line and it really goes to the point we quite often say on the podcast you know follow your values follow your interests and things could change that's that's brilliant Jane gosh I don't know how to follow that um well <laughs> I was the opposite really I had a very ordinary normal career path for those days um uh, into law I did law at university I um was an employment lawyer for 20 years uh, until last September and I got into pro bono management quite by chance, really. Um, I've become increasingly interested in diversity issues and social justice. Um, and I was on a fundraising bike ride with one of our local office charities. Um, and I mentioned to a partner that I was kind of, you know, I'd love my career as a lawyer, but I just wanted to do something that felt a bit more meaningful for me. Um, and he told me that the firm was looking for someone to help um, develop the pro bono programme, um, which I would never have um, known, but even though it was on our intranet site, I would just have never thought to look there. Um, I suppose because, you know, I'm in my mid-40s and I've just assumed that a legal career was kind of where I was going to carry on for the rest of my days. Um, so I applied um, and I got the job and the rest is very recent history. And um, now I'm doing this role. I'm, I'm just connected with so many amazing pro bono professionals and coordinators and lawyers in the UK and, and overseas and just blown away by the incredible work and, and collaboration there is in this in this sector. Fabulous. It's um well but the pro bono sector's gain, I'd say, Jane. Um and it's lovely, you know, no decision lasts forever in in, in your career that, that both of you have said. 
Okay, um, fantastic. So I'm going to put some links in the chat to the Justice First Fellowship, to the LawWorks website as well, and to the protocol. I would really encourage listeners um, to have a look at that. And I'm going to leave you with just one action for this week, uh, which, depending on when you listen to this episode, <laughs> might or might not be relevant. But do have a look at the Pro Bono Week website and have a think about whether there is a, an in-person or an online event that, that you want to attend in that week to get to know the sector a bit better. Um, thank you so much, um, Jane and Rebecca, for giving up your time today and coming on the podcast. It's been a real pleasure to talk to you um, and to hear your wisdom and expertise. Um, that's all for this week. Um, and just to our listeners, don't forget to connect with us on LinkedIn and Instagram. And we hope that you listen again soon. Mm-hmm.